I want you to lean in and I want you to work with me as we continue a new uh, series we're calling Made, where we're talking about design and connecting ourselves into how God has wired us and created us. And maybe asking the question, is the reason that we're struggling in life or maybe not satisfied, maybe it has to do with not connecting to our designer in the way that he made us. And so we're going to continue that today. And I want to talk about meaning. I want to suggest to you up front that we are living in a time where there is a crisis of meaning, a crisis of value, a crisis of meaning, which I find ironic today that in all of what we have, in all of the affluence, we are emotionally impoverished. With all of our connectivity, we are completely more lonely and isolated than ever before, that we are actually dealing with quite an ironic time, aren't we? Like anyone know what irony is? Let's, let's establish that. Irony, it's, it's not what Alanis Morissette thinks it is. I found myself driving down the Mackay Highway and that song came on. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Remember that one? It's like Ryan on your wedding day. It's a free ride and you already paid. Remember that one? Riding down the Mackay Highway with all my feminine angst singing Alanis Morissette. I don't, don't judge me. But the most ironic thing about that song is that she wrote a song about irony and clearly doesn't know what irony is. Irony is not an inconvenience. It's, it's not ironic to, to be like late, you know, it's in a free ride to be late for something. It might be ironic if you were late for like a town planning meeting, that might make it ironic. It's not ironic though if it's just your inconvenience. Like, let me help you with irony for a minute. This is ironic. 20 people wearing a shirt that says, be different, right? That's, that's irony. This, this is irony. I'll give you a minute. It's literally written in stone. Did the person do it? Anyway, I just, I, I can't even. This one's my favorite. I love this. They spelled every word incorrectly except for the one word, illiterate. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. And there's some very creative ways that this person spelled. This one's my favorite, actually, maybe a little insensitive. Attention, Titanic, the artifact ex exhibition is currently closed due to water damage. <laughs> Our apologies for any inconvenience. That's irony. Irony is when you intended one meaning and experienced the exact opposite. That's what irony is. Irony is attempting or, or expecting one meaning or trying for one meaning and, and, and experiencing the other. And I want to suggest to you today that we live in ironic times. And it's not comedic, it's tragic. We live in a time where, like I said, we are more connected than ever. We have the ability, like I have a friend that's right now in Australia. I could literally FaceTime him and be connected in, in a second on the other side of the world. We have hundreds, some of us have thousands of connections and friends online. We, we are more connected than we've ever been in human history. And yet loneliness and isolation is an epidemic. That's kind of ironic that in all the ways that we think we're going to be connected, we're actually more fragmented. We live in a time that we have all kinds of liberties and, and things that are available to us, more options than we've ever had before. We have options for pleasure like never before and license and liberty to go ahead and express yourself how you want. We live in a time of sexual freedom that you can express it and experience it however you want as long as it doesn't harm other people. And the irony of it though is that we've never lived in a time where people have been more sexually addicted and bound in all of our freedom. 
We have all, all kinds of options. We, have, we live in a time where we, we have these devices and these tools that are actually here to help us manage our time. And we have calendars and virtual assistants and all the stuff to help us find more time. And ironically enough, none of us have any. What is going on? We live in ironic times. We live in times where we go for one meaning and we're actually ending up with the exact opposite. And I want to suggest to us today that maybe the struggle and, and really where we get down, the rubber meets the road, maybe the issue for so many of us is that we are expecting to find meaning in something that was made for the exact opposite. And maybe the ways that we're looking to find meaning in our world aren't working and that you were actually made to find meaning in a whole other way. And I want to ask the question today, how do we find real meaning? Uh, back in the 40s, there's a guy named Abraham Maslow. You want to nerd out for a minute? I got a chart. Some of you might have learned this in school. Abraham Maslow came up with this, this concept of what drives us as human beings. That every single human being, we are all motivated essentially by the same thing. It might take different shape or form for you, but ultimately every human being throughout human history has dealt with these same pressures that drive our, our thoughts, drive our actions, drive our values, all of it. And they, they, they're in this kind of hierarchy or ascending order. And your basic needs have to be met first, he says. Your, your physiological needs, your need for water and food and shelter and warmth, that those things need to be met first the issues of safety, your physical well-being, that is your most primal desire and need that needs to be met. How many of you ever been in the situation where your life was in, in, in jeopardy? You ever been in a situation where like you were, you were in literal danger? What happens when you're in literal danger? Your, your body's in danger. All of a sudden, you're not really worried about your men's league hockey team, are you? Right? You're not worried about, oh, I wonder if so-and-so liked my Facebook post. You're not, because these are your most basic needs and they need to be met. And then it climbs up and it gets into social needs. We talked about that in week one of our MADE series, that we were made to belong with God, with others. Yes, but then as it continues to climb, we get into this zone that after your basic and social needs are met, we start to ask the questions of, but why? Why does this matter? Why am I here? Why do I have a life? What does it mean? Once we've been able to ask the question and be able to satisfy our most basic needs, we end up right here trying to figure out the issues of self-fulfillment, trying to find meaning, meaning. And I want to suggest to you today that we live in a time in human history where there is a higher concentration of, peop of people who are afforded the luxury to actually deal with these questions. And you and I are part of that group. That if you go back throughout human history, People have dealt with physical and safety challenges, the likes of which none of us have really had to deal with. We don't live in a time where we need to be worried about rival tribes coming in and, 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 and pillaging our village. We don't live in times where even basic things like modern medicine and the economy and the blessing and the wealth of this world that we live in has really eradicated a lot of the things that have quite frankly plagued humanity for centuries. I hope you know how rich and wealthy you are. 
I read one article that said you wouldn't, if economically speaking, like if you got to sit and say, to go back 150 years, if I could trade places with J.D. Rockefeller, the billionaire, if you actually looked on paper as to what he had access to and what you have access to, even in your you know, minimum wage job, you would not trade places. He didn't have the medicine you have. He didn't have Wi-Fi. He didn't have running water. He didn't have a, a, a fridge in his house. Like these are things that you and I have every day. And so I want to suggest to you that throughout human history, you only saw certain exceptions kind of be able to have the luxury to experience these, this struggle of self-fulfillment. Like if you go back in your Bible and we had time, we could read Ecclesiastes. You ever read that book? It's a real pick-me-up. Ecclesiastes is like a midlife crisis on paper. Solomon, the, the richest, most wealthy, most intelligent man in, in Israel's king's history, he writes on in, in this in this like journal, he just vomits his frustration with his life where he says, Listen, I have climbed the heights of human hierarchy. I literally command kingdoms. I am more wealthy than anybody has ever been. I have access to whatever I want, and I have found it's all meaningless, he says. He says, I, th I keep thinking I'm going to find it. I think I'm going to find it in pleasure. And then I obtain that pleasure. And then it's almost like water slipping through my fingers. At one point he said, it's like a vapor. It's a mist and I can't take hold of that which is meaningful. And he says, I thought I'd find it in power and prestige. I thought I'd find it in wisdom and intellect. And over and over, I just keep grasping at the wind. It's meaningless. And he over and over says, it's all meaningless. I think if you go back far enough in human history, you just see more exceptions dealing with this. But you can go back even like a century ago. Remember, remember uh, Howard Hughes? Anybody remember Howard Hughes? He was like the, the billionaire, inventor, business playboy, like this kind of celebrity of celebrities. Like he had everything, expressed himself however he wanted. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He had all the stuff that you and I could ever think we would want. And yet the irony of his life is he, again, never found the fulfillment he was looking for and ends up spending the last days of his life in complete isolation and seclusion, locked up in a hotel room by himself, addicted to opioids in the dark and he died in that state. I think through human history, we've seen some exceptions where people kind of climb to the top of the, of the human pecking order and they say, hey, there's nothing up here. And they deal with the depths of despair and disappointment about not finding the meaning and value of life where they thought they'd find it. But now I think the reason why depression and anxiety and despair and suicide are so rampant is because there's more people than ever in human history that get to sit right here. That you and I are rich like Solomon. You and I have things that human beings have never had throughout centuries. And here we are, we live in a civilization of wealth. And I think that's why the West is struggling so much is because we have a crisis of meaning. We don't know where to find real value in life. And I want to suggest to you today, as we continue our series we're calling Made, that real value is found when we get back to what God created. I'm missing a slide here, but we're going to, uh, we're going to make it work. Sometimes technology is more trouble than it's worth, isn't it? That's ironic. If you have a Bible, go to Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26, I'm just going to read it and then we'll keep carrying on. Genesis 1.26 says this. I'm going to give you 
Three ideas about how we were made. Three ideas about why you were made and how we can engage God's design for our lives when it comes to this concept of meaning. Are you with me? Can, can you lean in and pay attention? I want, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We'll hopefully get the rest on the screen here in a second. Genesis 1, 26 says this. So if this is back to the original creation account. We're looking for how God designed us. Let's look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. And then he says this, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all the animals. So it says right in the beginning that God said, we're going to create mankind in our image. What does it mean that you and I have been created in the image of God and why does it matter and what does it have to do with meaning? The fact that it says that at the beginning has profound implications on where we were made to get our sense of self-worth. It says, let us make mankind in our image. What is it getting at? Well, it would stand to reason that we need to think about, okay, if we're a representation of God, like for instance, my son Aiden bears my image. If you've ever seen him, you can tell he's my son. He, he carries my identity. He's not me, correct? He's his own person, but he literally bears my image. He carries my likeness. He carries my literal DNA, and in the same way, when God made us as human beings, he made us to carry his essence. You and I have been made from who he is. That's an incredible thought because now we got to ask the question, well, well, who is he and what is he like? And we don't have time to get into the vastness of who this unthinkable, unknowable, un unbelievable, incredible God is. But if we were able to contextualize it in a few simple words, we would say that he is glorious, that he is holy that he is of infinite worth, that he is perfect and matchless and beautiful and praiseworthy and noteworthy. That's what the Bible says about God. So, so translate that to yourself. You have been made from his glory for glory. You have been made from his holiness to be holy. That's what it means to be made in his image. You've been made from his essence to be like him. That's how we have been created. And I think we innately know this. So it says you've been made in his image. What else does it say? It says, so that you may rule over. So not only were you made for distinction, get that in your mind. Every human being was made for distinction because we were made in God's image. We were also made for dominion. You and I were made to rule over things. That's what it means to be his image bearers. It's not just to look like him, but it is to represent him and be the carriers of his will on the earth. That was his design from the beginning. To be his image bearers means not only that we are a people of distinction, creatures of distinction, we are designed to be creatures of dominion. Let me, let me say it like this. Here, here's my first idea. When it comes to, to being, living a life of meaning, you need to realize something that you were made to win. Like you were made to experience glory. That's what I mean by win. You know, like all I do is win, 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 no matter what. And my hands go up and they stay there. And anyways, just making sure you're paying attention. What I mean by win is that we are made for glory. But here's where we mess this up. We think that the glory and the, the win, the sensation of value is something that we find from one another. We make the mistake of thinking glory is something that I obtain 
in how I relate to other people. So how does that translate? It translates in a couple of ways. One, we are prone to comparison. We are prone to convince ourselves that as long as I'm a little better than you, as long as I'm a little greater than you, uh, as long as I, I, I'm winning against you, then I'm going to have feel my sense of self-worth and value. We make the mistake of competing with one another and comparing to one another, searching for the glory of God in other people. And that's a mistake, but it's inside all of us, isn't it? Like don't, all of us, we have our things that we compare. Why do, you, why do you care about what someone else has? Because it calls into question what you think you're worth. Why do we care about who won the game? Because we're measuring each other. Like it's innate. I, 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 I like volunteer uh, pinch coached for my son. Like I, I filled in because his coach couldn't be there. So I coached his basketball team last week. I did their practice. And I had all the boys, their nine-year-old boys, had them huddle in and we, we kind of knelt down at the circle and we, we got, like, gathered around boys. And like, we got, took, took a knee and I was like, guys, you played so good last weekend. I saw your game. You passed the ball well. You used your teammates. You hit the open man. You hit some shots. You played good defense. Way to go. And they're all like, uh, they, all, they all go, um, like unanimously, they go, yeah, we know. <laughs> and they said, we killed them. It's like, I go, what? Like, oh, they don't even keep score. How do you know? And like, we know. We kept score. I was like, yeah, so did I. You did. You won. You won. You completely torched them. And it was true. It was funny, though. I just had that thought, like, why did they care? Because the, the meaning associated with sports is the glory of victory. It's the competition. But I want to suggest to you today that I think there's something healthy and life-giving about sports. I love sports. You know this about me. But there's something sinister that actually robs your real joy when you're deriving it solely from being better or above someone else. And some of you could care less about sports. For you, it's how nice your living room looks compared to your neighbors. Coming right in your, right in your kitchen today, aren't I? Like, what, what do you think that is? We, th we make the mistake of trying to get our value from other people. Why do you care if you post a picture on social media that people like it? What is that? It's satisfying or trying to satisfy the longing in your soul for glory and validation. That's what it is, but it's a mistake. Here's what we find, and I found this to be true. Comparison robs your joy. Anybody found that? Your car was fine until you got, took a ride in that other person's car that was nicer. Now all of a sudden my car sucks, right? But if you could like transport yourself in your, you know, your 1999 Ford Taurus back to 1846, you'd feel pretty good about your Taurus, wouldn't you? Oh, they're on their horses, right? Comparison robs your joy. Competition, it, it doesn't, it, here's the thing about competition. It never satisfies. You always have to keep coming back for more and more. I, I always get a kick and I, I kind of feel bad. I see some of like the legends of like the NBA. Like you look at like the guys like Jordan and they're still at it, still trying to win, still trying to be involved, even though their bodies can't do it anymore. Why? It's that, it's that quick fix of a small victory. See, we chase validation. We, we chase victory in each other. But I think this is why so many people like, like now more than ever, are, are bottoming out in despair because people are tasting victory and realizing it just doesn't taste like I thought it would. 
It doesn't satisfy me. And so there's a shift that we need to make in life if we're going to find real meaning. We need to move from living a life that seeks personal elevation from other people to a life of God exaltation. And that if you learn how to live a life of worship, to actually direct your life that says, I'm not going to get validation from others, but my sole purpose is to give glory to God. Here's the counterintuitive thing that happens when you confront your own need and you give glory to God. What happens is as you learn how to worship and praise God, what you're doing is you're actually aligning your life to receive from God the glory for which you were actually created. It's the craziest thing. I've experienced it before, like where, where, where you start to worship God and all of a sudden, and I know some people here can testify to this. You've been in environments or you've had encounters with God where you start to humble yourself and there's something about the presence of God that literally no glory on earth can even touch. I, I've, I've been in sporting events that were incredible. I've been to concerts that are the creme de la creme. I saw the U2 360 tour twice. I've been to concerts. I've seen, I've seen Coldplay. I've seen a bunch of country artists I didn't want to see, but I love my wife. <laughs> I've seen the best that humanity has to offer in artistry and engineering and technology and creativity. And I've been in those environments and I've been there and I quite literally like... I. I because I've experienced the glory of God in my life, every time I just sort of stand with my hands in my pocket going, meh, meh, meh. It's impressive, but it's not, it's not glory. Glory is when the Spirit of God enters the room and you feel that weight rush over you and your hair starts to stand up and your pride starts to go down and your fears start to wash away and life starts rushing into you and your spirit, the spirit quickens your body and sharpens your perspective and you start to see things you weren't seeing before and you stop fearing things you were fearing and he starts lifting your spirit. Something, something transcendent happens when you learn to worship God. When you begin to worship God, you begin to experience real glory. And those of you who've experienced it before, you know what I'm talking about. I, I just keep finding things that get a lot of people excited. I, I find them to be disappointing. Look, I, I've seen the real thing and the best that humanity has to offer is still just counterfeit. It's fake. It's artificial light. I've been in rooms where the king walked in. I remember one time before service, just me and Pastor Dan and Anthony and my friend Tolu were down in the prayer room praying before service. It was just the four of us. And we weren't even doing anything. There was no guitars. There was no lights. There was no wattage. There was nothing impressive about it. We were just there glorifying God and something shifted in the room. And it was as though the king himself walked in and we found ourselves on the floor. Just under the weight of God's glory, there's nothing like it. That's the real thing. That's the thing that your heart is craving for when you go to Facebook and say, like me, like me, like me, like me. When you, when you turn yourself to God and you learn how to humble yourself before him, he begins to lift up your spirit and lift up your soul and change your life and transform you in all the ways that you were hoping to get it from Facebook or from having a nicer house or being prettier than her or having a better job than him. The moment that you turn to God and his spirit rushes in, all that striving just falls away. All that coveting, other people's stuff just becomes dead. doesn't matter. Good for you. I'm glad you have a nice house. I know Jesus. I have God Almighty in my soul. 
I have a light that just cannot be outshined. So you are made, you are made for real glory, but the way you experience it is by learning how to live a life of exaltation. It's actually counterintuitive. It's the opposite way from what the world tells you. The world tells you we need to climb higher and higher and higher, and that's where we find value. But if you listen to the word, the word tells you go lower, go lower, go lower, go lower. And the lower you, you, you humble yourself, the higher God elevates you. This is what it means when James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Can anybody testify to that? Listen, the most profound times of my life have been the times where I have been a, frankly, in the world's eyes, an embarrassing hot mess. Like I was thinking about this when I was preparing. I remember being 13 years old at summer camp and I remember just sitting in a service. No one was responding. It was really quiet in the room and the pastor just did a simple altar call and I felt the spirit of God just convict me and say, I want you to come up here and I want you to get right with me. And I remember sitting there wrestling with it in my pew, looking at my friends and my cousins and thinking they're gonna judge me and they're gonna laugh at me and I'm gonna go up there and cry and make an idiot of myself. And I just felt the conviction of the spirit though pressing on me. I can still remember the feeling and I just broke and I got up and I remember walking down the aisle by myself and falling down before God and just the Spirit of God coming around me. Like as I humbled myself, the most profound moments of my life have been the moments where I'm at, I'm at, my, I'm at my, my, my rock bottom when I've humbled myself. I remember four years ago, I was at, I was at the lowest place in my ministry I was burning out. I was tired. I didn't know if I could keep doing this. Uh, I was just, I, was, I had had it. And I had this moment one morning with a friend. I just vomited all the stuff and, and just humbled myself. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came in and spoke some things into my soul that I had been longing to hear so bad and looking in all the wrong places to find it. That's what happens when you humble yourself and you learn to exalt him. The, the counterintuitive thing that happens is the glory, his glory rushes into you and it satisfies what you were looking for in the first place. We need to make this shift. If you're gonna ever experience real meaning in life and be satisfied, it keys in around worship. Let's keep moving. Hey, there's some scripture. So let's, let's keep going. Let's look at what it says. So verse 28, check this out. We're going to do Bible study, y'all. Look at this. God blessed them. Ho! And he said to them, here is the first commandment on humanity. Here it is. Be fruitful and increase. Fill the earth. That's the first thing God ever told humans beings to do. That is your purpose. That is your design. To actually be fruitful and productive and to experience increase. Do you see that? Production and prosperity are inside your DNA. You were actually made for those things. You were made, uh, let, me use, let me use this alliteration, FTW. You were made not just for the win, you were made for the work. Let me dispel a myth. Sometimes when you read the Bible, especially those of you who grew up in church and you've heard, you know, in the beginning God made everything and it was perfect, which is true. But we mistakenly think that perfection is the same as completion. And we think that when God made everything, like Adam and Eve were just chilling in the garden. They just got to chill and eat and just enjoy the fruit. No, God actually purposed them for what? For work. He says, be fruitful. And that isn't just about, hey, go make babies. There's more to it. Like here, here's, here's something that might blow your mind. 
God has never made a baby. I mean, yes, he is the one that brings life. But God made the man and the woman with the potential to make a baby. He gave man and woman sperm and eggs. And I don't need to go any further, right? Like we, we know how it works. Okay, let me, let me change it. God never made a chair. God made trees. God never made a house. God made materials. God made the earth and his people full of potential. It's seed. It's the thing that once it's deposited, its purpose is to actually unfold and be fruitful. And you are the same. God has actually created you with a purpose. And your call is to actually be fruitful. It's to function. You have a sweet spot that God has created you to flourish in. Every human being. And we actually find meaning in the purpose. Meaning is actually connected to purpose. It's connected to work. Correct? Think about your life. What things matter most to you? I bet they have cost you the most. I bet you've invested the most into them. Like for me, I was thinking like Ava, Aiden, Alex have cost me the most. Time, all of my money, sleep, <laughs> my hair keep costing me. I keep giving to them and I just give and I give and I shelter and I guide and I work. And even when I have nothing left, I still give to them. Same with my marriage. I keep giving to it and giving to it and giving to it. And she keeps giving even more likely. And yet, these are the most valuable things in my world. It's funny that the things I invest in most, I find the most meaning in. Maybe we make the mistake of thinking that fulfillment is connected to actually obtaining the fruit when in actuality, fulfillment is connected in fruitfulness and the production of it. Just said something very important. We live in a superstore world. Everything is at your fingertips. You walk down the aisles of the universe and you get what you want when you want. We make the mistake of thinking, I'm going to find meaning in getting the fruit. And so some of us, we consume, right? It's food, it's substance, it's sex, it's stuff, whatever it is. I'm just going to hoard and consume and accumulate. And we think there's where the meaning is. I just need to get more, 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 more. And that maybe, maybe meaning has nothing to do with how much fruit you have. Maybe meaning has to do with how much fruit you've produced. Maybe meaning is involved and connected to fruitfulness and functionality. Maybe it's more about what you invest than what you collect. The word says that it's better to give than receive. That's not just some cute thing. It's actually how you were wired. You were wired to deposit. You were wired to be a giver. You were wired just like God to actually be a creator. You've been made in his image. What did God do? He created things for six days and he saw it and he said, it was good. This is good. And then he made the man and the woman and said, it's very good. And then he rested. Maybe you and I are created the same way in his image to create. Maybe the measure of your life is by how much you invest. Maybe that's where real meaning is. But what happens is a lot of us, we just distract ourselves by consuming and going after the fruit. A guy named Viktor Frankl, ever heard of him? He was a, he was a man that actually was a, a Jew that was in uh, the, the German concentration camps in the Second World War. And he wrote some incredible things about just humanity and faith and value. And he said this, man is most likely to distract himself with pleasure when his life is void of meaning. 
Man, did he write that in 2019? You're most likely to distract yourself with pleasure when your life is void of meaning. See, we make the mistake of chasing fruit when God has actually created us to be people of seed, to be people who actually produce things and cultivate things. You are made for the work. And so there's a shift we need to make. We need to move from living a life of indulgence to a life of investment. And if you can make that shift where you don't think it's what I can get, but it's what I can give, and you realize that the blessing and meaning is associated in the deposit, not in the collection, you actually start to feel meaning. And we know this is true, don't we? I don't know why it's such a difficult thing for us. Well, maybe it's because we live in a world of indulgence where everything is catered to us. But we, the church, have got to rise up and actually start rejecting that and saying, I'm alive because I'm giving myself to something greater than me. I find real meaning because I'm depositing. I am blessed to be a blessing. God did not just bless me to hoard up and stockpile all my fruit. He made me to be someone who cultivates fruitfulness. My inheritance is prosperity, that I'm supposed to fill the earth and increase. That's what God created you for. You need to move from a life of indulgence to investment. I got one more, one more move we need to make, one more observation. Let's check this out. So let's read it one more time. It says, God blessed them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and then watch this. And here it is, subdue it. Subdue the earth. Look, look, rule over it. Now, the implication here would be like, if you have to subdue something, is it cooperating Yes or no? No. If I have to subdue something, it means that you're actually resisting my will. That, that this is, there's going to be conflict. Y'all, this is before sin entered the game. Conflict was part of the picture. Pressure was part of the picture. Pushback was part of the picture. God actually created you and I for conflict. The same way that he created us for, for work, he also created us for, for conflict. I know, I know we have a hard time thinking about this. Listen, when sin entered the world, what happens is it perverted the work. It took work to toil, right? And then conflict became much greater than just having to subdue the earth. But now we're dealing with subduing the powers and principalities of darkness because of the results of sin. But that's another talk for another day. But you need to realize something, that you and I have been made for war. See what he did there? FTW, made for the win, made for the work, made for the war. I work really hard on this. <laughs> you were made for the war. You are actually made for conflict. And we find meaning in giving ourselves and actually stepping up and fighting for things that matter. You are made to fight for things that matter in your life. Every human being. But we make the mistake. Some of us, we get, we get like confused about how to fight the fight. Some of us fight the fight in our imagination with fantasy. We try to escape the things that matter and kind of get our, our you know, our, our sense of value from pretend fights. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was watching, uh, I clicked on a YouTube video to watch, and nowadays you have to watch like 10 commercials on YouTube. I don't know why, what, what happened. Oh, I do. But anyway, you have to watch all these commercials. And this commercial came on for a video game called Ghost Recon. 
And it's like this video game where these, you're a Navy SEAL and you can play with your friends. And so it's this commercial for the video game and it's showing parts of the gameplay, but then it's showing this mini movie of these Navy SEALs, these jacked dudes with giant assault rifles and they've got the army paint on and they've got their, their comms and they're, they're, you know, they're going through the, the woods like, do it, that move, that moves are an official, official Navy SEAL thing. Y'all don't believe me. Right? And they're like knocking out the Taliban and all the stuff. And it's awesome, right? There's these big burly dudes, but then it, it shoots over to these five guys, these five grown men with their plastic remote controllers and their headset. They're like, flank left, flank left, SEAL team. Like, and I, I just, I started laughing. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with video games, but like maybe, maybe like the people who created that video game know something those dudes don't know. They know I'm going to market to young men's longing to be part of something great, to be heroic. You can be a hero, but not risk anything. You can be a hero in the comfort of your mom's basement. <laughs> They know it's true, though. They know that inside every young man, that there's a longing. Look, I've played video games. There's no problem with video games. I'm getting at something greater, that maybe your heart is longing to be part of something that really matters, and you are made for more than imaginary fights. Okay, let me pick on the ladies, Outlander. Yeah, you didn't know I knew, did you? Yeah, your fantasy novels pretending like someone's going to whisk you away into some great fantasy. Look, maybe you were made for real adventure. Maybe you were made for real meaning. These things aren't bad, but they are bad if they become the highest and best for your life. God has called you to a real war and a real fight. There are things that matter. There are powers and forces in this world that God wants subdued, but he is calling you and I to rise up and say, come into order in Jesus' name. He's, causing, he's calling us to step into places that are out of order and bring alignment with the will of heaven. That is your call. You have been made for that. And so we need to figure out how to make a shift from living a life of escape to engaging the fights that matter. See, some of us, we, we try to escape. Do you know that idleness is a great enemy of your soul? Huge enemy. And we live a world, we live in a world of escape and idleness. We live in a world that just tries to imagine or get away, don't we? Like we have four RV dealerships right around this building. Like everything is about getting away from the life I live. Maybe meaning is found not in escaping it, but engaging it head on. Maybe that's where some real value is. Maybe we need to reject idleness and realize that is an enemy of your soul. There's an old pro proverb that says, the devil, uh, idle hands find the devil's work. You know, if we had time, we'd look at the story of King David. David, he was this great hero in the Bible. I mean, as a teenager, he conquered this, this giant, like he, he beat Goliath. He, he conquered a bear and a lion. He captained the, the, the Lord's army, he captained the army of Israel over all kinds of foes and, 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 and forces. And yet the thing that took him down was idleness. He skipped the one time, the one time he said, you know what, I'm not going to go to war. You guys go to war. I'm going to chill. I earned this. Beware of idleness. Beware of that thing in you that just wants to excuse yourself. 
I'm all for rest. Rest matters. But be intentional. Use it to fuel yourself for what really matters. My mentor told me this. I was asking him about, like, how do I, how do I deal with the rhythms of my life? I, I, I work all weekend. Like, how do I figure out how to do this? And he, and he said, well, you need to rest. You need to have a Sabbath. It's the law. It's, the, it's in the word. But you also need to realize, be very, very careful after you're done your work. You are very prone to temptation. You are very prone to just be caught off guard when you get idle. Don't let yourself get idle. You see, we need to move from living a life that escapes the, the, the conflict that's all around us and really start engaging. Realize, mom, you're not just a mom. You're not just here to, you know, to watch out for your kids. You're here to break generational curses. You're here to raise up your, your family in, a, in an inheritance. You're here to actually renew their minds from the crap they're being taught everywhere. You are, there is a war over your kids. There is a war over your workplace, man. Like you, God has called you in there on mission. It is a covert op. You are there to bring light into the darkness and speak truth into lies and to stand up and stand for something in a time where you're not allowed to say that anymore. Maybe God is calling you to stand up and have courage and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't care what it says or what you think or what is politically correct anymore. This is true. Maybe God is calling you to actually engage what is real. Real meaning is connected to actually having something worth fighting for. Let me summarize it all in this. Real meaning ultimately looks like living for someone bigger than yourself, exalting God, give to something other than yourself and fight for something greater than yourself. So maybe in other words, it's, it's just not about us. The beginning to find real meaning is to get our eyes off of ourselves and get onto something greater. That's where real meaning is. I'm gonna invite you to stand in just a second. I wanna, I wanna give you some homework. Actually, you can, you can stand right now, actually. I wanna give you some homework. And I, wanna, I wanna paint the picture though, really quick, of what this looks like. Philippians 2, here's how we do this. Here's how we live a life of meaning. Jesus is both the picture and the power to live a life of meaning. Look what Jesus did. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to model him. We now bear his image. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. He is the new Adam. He is the firstborn of many sons. We carry his image. And so we're supposed to be like him and have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. There it is. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man. He, say it, humbled himself. There it is. He humbled himself in worship to God and obedience to God, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He went lower than anybody has ever gone in human history. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore, when you go low, God lifts you up. Look what happens. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus gives us the picture and the pattern and he also gives us the power. As we set our eyes on him, we set our sights on him, we receive the glory and the validation our hearts long for, we step into that meaningful work. God has recalled 
called us to that great commission. What's the great commission? Really quick, Matthew 28, go into all nations, make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a reinstatement of the original thing that God commanded humans to do. Be fruitful and multiply. It's the reinstatement of it. And then we, as we follow Jesus, we what? We walk in his victory. We wage war. We, don't, we know our enemy. We don't war against flesh and blood. We, we fight against powers and principalities of darkness. Amen? Amen? And so we step into that. I have some homework for you. You guys can, you guys can move this out of the way. We're going to worship here in a second. I have some homework for you this week. I want to challenge you to try to live a life of worship this week in an intentional way by... Uh, cutting out any music that you might listen to that is not pointed towards exalting the name of Jesus. So for one week, I'm saying, find some music or find like what you're listening to. Maybe you're an audiobooks person. I want, I want you to replace what you've been listening to with something that is directed unto God. So maybe you need to listen to scripture or maybe you need to listen to worship music. Some of you are like, I hate Christian music. I have good news for you. The favor of God is on you. Kanye West just dropped a Christian album this week. So there you go. You can, you can listen to that one. So just do me the favor though and actually try this week, seven days, try to just intentionally exalt God. Increase him in your mind and in your car and in your home. And then here's the second thing. I want you to produce something and plant it. Not, not, not a tree. I mean, I want you to produce something and deposit it into someone else. Produce a nice thing of encouragement and send it to somebody. Pick up the phone, carve out five minutes and call someone and say, hey, I was thinking about you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm for you and I'm here for you. Deposit something in someone else. Bake something, make something, send something. Do something productive for someone else. And here's the third thing. I want you to pick a fight. I want you to pick a fight, not with your spouse, not with your kids, know your right enemy. I want you to pick a fight and I want you to be a solution to a problem or to be a part of a solution to a problem. God has called us to bring light into the darkness, to be salt, in the earth, salt and light. And so find something. You can't maybe change the world overnight unless your name is Jesus, but you can make a difference. And so I want you to pick a fight this week. So live a life and worship someone greater than yourself. Give to something greater than yourself. And let's see if we can find some meaning. So Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your truth. We pray, God, that you would help us to live a life of meaning. We believe that you have called us to life and life to the full and that it is found when we, when we turn ourselves to you. God, teach us to humble ourselves and not live so self-focused and self-indulgent, but to seek a life of worship that brings you glory and that we would actually believe that we're alive when we do that. God, would you help us this week as we endeavor to live a life of exaltation? God, would you help us to be blessed, to be a blessing to others? Would we be... Uh, just living in the flow and the channel and the current of your blessing. Will we not kind of back it up with our own greed or maybe our own laziness, but God, will we deposit what we do have for the betterment of other people? And God, would you use us to fight the good fight, to, to wage the war, uh, the unseen war, and that we would subdue the powers and principalities that are coming against your will, and we would be agents of your will and your kingdom in this world and in this place. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. 
And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.